this morning. Our guest is Ms. Cindy Carell. Cindy is a member of the Tinkling Spring Presbyterian Church in Fisherville, Virginia. She is a deacon there. She's a graduate of Longwood College and for some years was a journalist with newspapers in Brookneal and Stanton, Virginia. She is now based in Port-au-Prince, Haiti with the Joining Hands Network of the Presbyterian Hunger Program. Joining Hands Network strive to alleviate poverty and suffering through community education, advocacy, alternative economic activities, lifestyle changes, and spiritual grounding. Cindy, we welcome you this morning. Let us give our attention to the reading of Holy Scripture, first from 1 John chapter 3, found on page 226 in your pew Bible. 1 John 3, beginning with verse 11, let us listen to God's word. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who was from the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder his brother? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be astonished, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. Verse 18. Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now turning to Philippians from chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen from me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. It's very clear that the Apostle Paul loved his brothers and sisters in Philippi. In his words, in his letters to the Philippians, He shares with us that love, that great love he found when he was there. And the Philippians cared for him long after. When he was in prison, they sent him gifts, they sent him letters, and they remembered him. It's the favorite book of many Christians, and this is the favorite book of mine, especially after discovering the love and kindness in Haiti. This this whole chapter speaks to me. I'm here today to share my story in Haiti and in them the reasons that this country has taken my heart. But I know that here at First Church Richmond, I'm preaching to the choir. 
I know many of you have been to Haiti. I know many more of you have heard from Haiti. I know that Laura Wright holds Haiti in her heart like no other. And I know that many of you have nurtured relationships there. Most of all, you've brought clean, life-giving water to the people in the remote regions of a, of a land I love so much. And I thank you for that because I know here in this congregation you get it. Then you've gone beyond that. Further, you have joined other churches in the Presbytery of the James, and you've supported my ministry there, and my ministry, which I should call our ministry, both with all of us together and with our brothers and sisters in Haiti. Our ministry there is working in advocacy, and it is working in uh, other ways that we can work together to accompany our brothers and sisters in Haiti. I work with farmer organizations, but don't be fooled by that. Farmer organizations in Haiti often fill in and work in lieu of a government that cannot provide the services that a community needs. They operate small schools. They bring medical care and microfunding to the the women and the families. And with their own meager resources, they work collectively. And now with this collective, with this network, we are all working together. It's slow going. And I'm not an expert in any of this work. Our Haitian brothers and sisters are the, are the ones who are teaching me. But this morning, I want to talk to you about some stories from my two-plus years in Haiti. When, when Apostle Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. As one of my brothers in Haiti once told me, God understands you, Cindy. You don't have to ask for everything. He'll be there. And that's what I found. I'm going to tell you the story about my first full month in Haiti. I had been there several times. I had been on week-long missions, and I studied Haiti, and I thought that I knew a lot about Haiti. But to live there, I was going to spend my first month with a rural family. I didn't know them. I was chosen to go to this family through a mutual friend. And after a couple of weeks being in Port-au-Prince and discovering where I would live and where I would find my apartment, I was going to move up to this mountain and live for one month. That's four weeks. That's 30 days with people I did not know. And I've got a pretty wide comfort zone, and I was scared to death. We were driving up this mountain to a community I had traveled to, but I did not know where I was going on this day. And we arrived in the town... And there was a sign on one of the posts that said, Welcome, Sandy. And my colleague said, Do you think they mean you? And I said, How many other people do you think are showing up to live in in this community? We stopped along that road, and a young man whose name was Ernst Celestine, he's about 32, 33 years old, jumped into the back seat of the truck with me and covered me with hugs and kisses and said, Welcome home, Sandy. And I, I, my heart just began to grow. We went down to the house. I explained to them that my name was Cindy. They had just had a big hurricane called Sandy, so I wanted to differentiate there. <laughs> and I walked into the yard, and I was embraced. This home is the home of Papa Luke Celestine. All of you, I hope, have been given some photographs. Many of you have a photograph of Papa Luke with his young grandson. Others of you have the family portrait um, If you have the family portrait photo, I'm the one with the white shirt. That's how you can tell who I am. And I 
knew that Mama Luke, Malia, had died five years before, and Papa Luke had eight children, most of whom were already grown. But what Papa Luke had done when we made these arrangements was that he had asked all of his children to come up from Port-au-Prince and come to spend time with this little missionary who was going to be staying with the, at them and help her learn Creole. So I was in the pickup. I show up. I go to the house. Papa Luke's not home from work yet. He works 12-hour days. Ernst was there. His wife, Jennifer, was there. Another sister, Esther, was there. And Ernst, who speaks English, said, well, let's figure out how much you know. It was a diagnostic test for my Creole. And I fell into that horrible trap of showing off. I had known some Creole, especially about food. So when they said, what kind of words do you know? What do you like to eat? I named everything I knew. I named beans and rice. I named goat. I named pickles. I named fried plantains. What I didn't know was that he was sending a message around to the kitchen, and they were cooking everything I said. Now, remember, I'm anxious. I'm hot. I'm uncomfortable. I'm overcome. And we come into the dinner table, and there is a table full of food. I work for the Presbyterian Hunger Program. I think I've been hungry maybe once in Haiti. There's this entire table full of food, and to be culturally respected, I need to eat it all. So I did my best. I ate as much as I could. I was full. I was still anxious. I was still overcome. I was still sweaty. We met Papa Luke. If the children who weren't there, he would call on the phone, and he would say in Creole, Cindy, Wiesland wants to talk to you. Cindy, baby wants to talk to you. Cindy, goose wants to talk to you. So I'm, I'm reeling. I'm just a, I am just a physical mess. So then Ernst tells us, we're going to have evening prayers. It should only last about 15 minutes. And I, silly me, thought, well, in 15 minutes, I can get some rest. I can pray. I and mean, prayer is about respite, right? Well, we come to the table again. There's about seven of us in the house at this time, and we are all standing up around the table. I had come prepared. I had a Creole Bible. I had the Chance d'Esperance, which is all the words to the Haitian hymns. And I had showed them this because I wanted to show I was invested in this. Second mistake. I come, I have my books, I have my Creole Bible. We start by singing a hymn. This is evening prayers every night at the Celestine House. We start with a hymn. They show me the words, I sing along. Papa Luke leads a prayer. After his prayer, everyone prays their individual prayer out loud, but at the same time. After that, we all, we all recite the, the Lord's Prayer, but in French. After that, there is another prayer. Following that, we sing the doxology in French. And after that, someone is to read a psalm. Well, the Haitian people, when they're going to teach you something, they don't really sort of let you enter into it easily. They handed me my own Bible, pointed out the psalm, and asked me to read the psalm in Creole. Now, I'm still sweaty. I'm still hot. I'm still nervous. I'm, I'm trying to calm down. I'm overcome. I read the psalm very badly in Creole, and when I missed a word, Papa Luke, from memory, corrected me. This continued every night. After we read the psalm, everyone recites a scripture that means something to them at the time. Then we have another prayer and a family. This is a family, just like at your dinner table. 
the family passes the peace, embraces one another, and says goodnight. I told a friend later I thought I'd move to Walton's Mountain of Haiti. There are many, many, many stories from my time there, and, and you will, I'm sure you've guessed that wasn't my last time there. When I left there after my month was over, I was, and I'll have a story about this, I was in tears, and I was coming back the next week. I was, this is my home. This is my hometown. This is my Haitian family. Papa Luke would get up in the morning, and he would be gone by 7. He's a carpenter. He's also a farmer. He had, um, a, he had a horrible infection in one of his legs, and he lost some of the bones, so he walks with a pretty terrible limp. But he works every morning at his carpentry shop. He also farms a large piece of land around that community. He farms a lot and gives it to the community for those who don't have the food. But he would return home at 7 o'clock, and he would say, Cindy, vous mangez? Cindy, did you eat? Oui, Papa Luc, moi t'ai mangé. Est-ce que vous mangez un pile? Did you eat a lot? Oui, moi t'ai mangé un pile. And then he would ask someone else, did Cindy eat a lot? No. Cindy ate a little bit. If he did find out that Cindy was not eating a lot, he would take to putting the food on my plate, which was never a good idea. I thought I would lose weight going to Haiti. That really hadn't worked out too well either. But when you see the hardships and you know the hardships and the horrible poverty that is there, you still see within it all, you still see the love and the joy. And I've said this after my week-long trips there, and I've heard other people try to explain it. Well, they're so poor, but they're so happy. It's not happy. There's a difference between happiness and joy. And uh, if any of you had to learn the catechisms when you were young, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And that's what I have found in Haiti time and time again. It was very clear when I moved to Sheridan to this home that this was my home. There were many cases um, when uh, I would... I would say something or I would connect with people and I was learning Creole and we were talking and Papa Luke would say, well, one of, the, one of his sons would come to me and say, Papa Luke just loves you. You're just like one of us. And I said, you know, tell him that I have two families. I have a Haitian family and an American family and they're both crazy. And they are. They're very much alike. Um, this is just a, a short piece that I had in a blog about some of the, the life that I was living and learning and enjoying in, in Haiti, and the, what I'm talking about is these little, these small moments. If you've been to Haiti, you've seen the poverty, you've seen the need. You provide water to people so the young children, five and six years old, don't have to walk a half mile, a mile, an hour to get water to bring back to their families. But in it all, there is a tenderness. Ernst is the second born of the family of eight children. He's 32, and he and his wife, Jennifer, and their two-year-old son, Barnes, live in Port-au-Prince. He's trained as an electrician, and in addition to other work when he can find it, he teaches in a technical school. He's a natural teacher. He's patient, but he's demanding. And I know that he looks for the best in others because he often tells me he finds it in me. And this is on the days when my best is not readily apparent. As you know, each of Papa Luke's children travels up that unforgiving road to Sheridan, 
during, that, during my month there just to spend time with me. It was expected, and if my family had had a meeting and agreed to this, I would have called it an obligation. My Celestine family called it a pleasure. And Ernst was there from the beginning, occasionally through my time, and he was there the last night that I stayed during my month. One evening, shortly before dusk, neighbors were dropping by to visit. Papa Luke, he's not very tall, he's got gray hair, he walks with that limp. He pulled a wooden chair out into the courtyard, and Ernst stood behind him, combing and cutting his father's hair. He had a blue plastic brush, and then carefully he trimmed Papa Luke's hair with a comb that had a razor blade tucked into the teeth of the comb. Slowly and carefully, he tilted his father's head this way and that. He shaped, he trimmed, he straightened his father's hair, and all the while, all the neighbors who were gathered, Papa Luke and Ernst, They told stories, and they laughed, and they enjoyed the natural rhythm of that conversation. When darkness approached, Ernst brushed off the hair from his father's shoulders. Papa Luke put on his ball cap, and they went on. It was an ordinary moment in a very extraordinary place. One of the young people who lived in the house was a cousin named Sonson. Sonson and another girl they called Baby, uh, they were orphans. Their parents had both died when they were babies. And they lived at the house because their Uncle Luke is their uh, it's Uncle Luke to them, and I think it's his brother who was the father of these children. Well, Sonson's an 18-year-old boy. Some things are universal. He's an 18-year-old boy. He likes to drive motos fast. He likes to go out and play. He likes to be a wild 18-year-old kid. One day I realized that Barnes, the little boy, the two-year-old, wasn't running around, and he'd had a really bad cold, and I asked, where is Barnes? And they said, Sonson's taking him to the medical clinic because they have clinic today. A couple hours later, I saw this strapping 18-year-old boy walking up the lane. Sonson was walking up the lane, and he had Barnes on his shoulders, and in his other hand, he was carrying a handful of medicines. I had been sitting on the front porch of this little house writing in my journal, And Sonson came over and sat beside me in the other chair. And while we talked, Barnes fell asleep. And this big teenage boy said, excuse him, excuse me. And he got up and he carried the little boy in and laid him down to go to sleep. These are just so many of these little moments. I had written this blog and I had published it. And not long after that, when I saw Ernst again, I let him read it. I had, it, I had a copy of it, and I let him read it. And Ernst, the second-born son, the one who's done so many things for me, he read it, and he said, Cindy, you help me understand me. How amazing is that? This family is, gives so much that when you try to turn it around, they do not understand what's going on. On my last night there, Now, living in rural Haiti and living with the Celestine family meant an outhouse. It meant uh, if you wanted to take a shower, they would fill a huge tub up with ice-cold mountain water, and you would take a little pail, and you would wash yourself. It meant you didn't have coffee made when you got up because somebody had to go and brew it and put it in the other kitchen and build the fire to make your food and to make your coffee. And I loved it. When I was here... I wouldn't even go camping. I'm not that kind of a rugged person. But in Haiti, when you're living like they live and when you are with them and when you're in community, it's beautiful. 
We had a party the night I was supposed to leave. And the night before, we had toasts. We had all the food. The whole family was gathered, which was unusual. The whole family was gathered, and we had this, this party. And at the party, Papa Luke said in Creole, and it was translated to me, Cindy, thank you for accepting us. I showed up on their doorstep. They cared for me for one month, and he thanked me for accepting the way that they live their life. And I said, Papa Luke, thank you for teaching me to be a missionary. Papa Luke's Bible had fallen apart, been used for many, many, many years. As I had a new Bible, I had a new Creole Bible. So I wrote in Creole that he sort of understood a message, and I gave it to Papa Luke. And I knew that when I went back to Border Prince, I could find a new Bible. Within two weeks, the family had gathered up a few goods and bought a Bible for me. The evening that I left was a wonderful party. And the next morning, um, I was sitting at the table. And I, I, literally, I was coming back the next weekend. But I was still sitting at the table thinking, this is the last morning I'm going to wake up here on a regular basis. And they were talking. Papa Luke was sitting at the table, and Ernst was there, and a couple other brothers were there. And they turned around, and here's the crazy missionary with tears running down her face. I cry pretty easily, and Madison, you just took care of me today. It's just the, just the, the idea of goodness, and when you feel God's love, it just, it just springs water right out of my eyes. But when you cry in Haiti and you're the guest, they think they've done something wrong. So they immediately don't cry. What's, what's wrong? What happened? You know, is something hurting you? What happened? And I tried to explain happy tears to them. And I said, no, it's happy. It's goodness. It's just, this is love, and you have taken me in, and I have this connection with you, and I am so blessed. And Papa Luke said, I understand happy tears. And he told us the story in Creole. When he had been in the hospital, when he had that infection in his leg for so long, he was in the hospital time and time again over about eight to ten years. And his younger sister would come to the hospital and stay there with him and make sure he had food and make sure that the nurses knew what he needed. And his sister would sleep on a pallet beside his bed. Eight to ten years, she was there. She was, she was faithful. And Papa Luke said, and then after I got out of the hospital and I came back up here to Sheridan, I went to Port-au-Prince and I saw her again and we both cried. That's happy tears. We understand happy tears. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, the Apostle Paul said, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen.